the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. An unimaginable water crisis right here in the United States. And then, should we applaud pastors who make public confessions? What is the mission statement of our culture? And later, who is your enemy? You're listening to The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. Today is Thursday. Labor Day weekend is almost Yay! upon I'm us. so excited! It is. It feels like the last time you're allowed to wear white. Uh, you know, That's very important to me, so I got to think Feels that. like lots of hot dogs should be consumed this weekend. <laughs> Do, can I tell you something about hot dogs? You always you're ask my like permission, this. but I'm like, yeah, no, you can. <laughs> okay, Cheers, your name's on the show. Okay, you're right, you're right. I don't have to ask you. Um... My dad had back surgery last week. Oh, uh, he feels better. Yeah, he's doing very well. But you know what we did? We shipped him. You can, uh, at Portillo's.com, you can ship people a whole, like, yes. a, like, a hot dog party. And so we sent him a hot dog party, <laughs> and he was very, very happy. So this weekend, they're going to have the grandkids that live in the area over and do a whole Portillo's party oh, in Oklahoma fun. City. Isn't that fun? That's fun. Yeah. Will you go to Portillo's and get one and, like, do it over Zoom and, like, Dad, oh, I'm with you eating, man, but, but you have to eat that. a hot dog. So I am going to actually, that's a good idea. I'm going to be in Seattle speaking at a church this Zoom weekend. Works there so too. I'm, but they, do they have hot dogs? I feel like I have to get coffee. It's going to be like I'm wearing grunge gear and Hold like on. a coffee and be like, hey, dad, did you I'm ju- in Seattle. Did you just question whether the city of Seattle <laughs> has hot dogs? <laughs> I got a feeling you can find one somewhere. I don't know, Brian. I think coffee makes a lot more sense in Seattle. Why not both? <laughs> Why not both? Why not both? You're right. There you go. Why well, not both? We are glad that you're with us today. If you've missed any of our shows this week, go get the podcast wherever it is. Get your podcast. Just subscribe, rate, review. You can also find us online at 1160hope.com. Aubrey, one of the main things you and I talk about on the show is, wow, I didn't know that was happening. <laughs> wow. But it's usually around the world. Uh-huh. But this one is right here in the United States of America. The capital city of Mississippi, that being Jackson, is without a reliable water supply because of flooding. And it's not clear when residents will be able to expect safe running water. Schools in Jackson, Mississippi, uh, its capital city and largest city, have shifted to virtual learning in light of the crisis. Mm. They don't have clean water. So the mayor, I believe this is it, uh, I want you to hear what he had to say as he updated this, I believe, yesterday. Not drink the water. In too many cases, it is raw water from the reservoir being pushed through the pipes. At the end of last week, I was briefed by the uh, state health department on the discovery that Jackson's main water treatment facility has been operating with zero redundancies. We were told on Friday that there was no way to predict exactly when, but that it was a near certainty that Jackson would fail to produce running water sometime in the next several weeks or months if something did not materially improve. Unfortunately, that failure appears to have begun today. 
until it is fixed, it means we do not have reliable running water at scale. It means the city cannot produce enough water to fight fires, to reliably flush toilets, and to meet other critical needs. Okay. We're a very first world nation. Wow. It is unbelievable to wow. me. And there's, if you listen to stuff, this has a lot to do with the po- the choices that politicians have made down there, mm. some collapsing infrastructure, some mm. flooding, all mm-hmm. sorts of it. But Aubrey, lack of water in a place in the United, in a capital city of the United States of America, of a state in a, is mind boggling to me. I know there's been stuff actually, you know, in Flint, Michigan and right, other places right, as well. Right. So this isn't unheard of. But when I hear these things uh, like this is going to sound terrible, but let me just say you're used to watching commercials of of water problems, right? In yeah. third world nations and, yeah. yeah. you know, areas of Africa or whatever else it might be. But the fact that this is one of the 50 capital cities of the United States of America really is mind boggling. It's mind boggling. And like, I think what we don't realize is this means like until this is fixed, uh, they think about like there's no flushing toilets. If a fire breaks out, there's no water for fire. Right. Like, obviously, the critical needs of life when it right. comes to water. It's uh, pretty, I, I mean, I think you're right. It feels so absurd that this kind of thing is happening in the United States of America. And and I, I'm certain that that sounds privileged. And yet it is shocking that this is happening. Um, apparently on Tuesday night, President Joe Biden approved an emergency declaration in the state, which freed up federal resources to help manage the crisis. Um, it is. And apparently these water struggles have been going on for years. Uh, see, I had no idea. Neither did I. I had no idea. Uh, someone was quoted as saying the city of Jackson, even when we're not under a boil water notice, even when we're not contending at that present moment with low pressure, we are in a constant state of emergency. They're handing out bottled water. Uh, all of this stuff. Mm. So so it's crazy to me yeah. that this is happening. Yeah. With that said, I can't think of many things. Like if you, if I were to tell you what taken away from your life right now would make you more feel out of control oh. and like yeah. I can't provide anything than water. I can't, I can't think of much more than water because it's how you provide food for your kids. It's how you make formula for bottles for infants. Uh, it's how you keep a family clean right. and healthy. I mean, it just, it obviously, it. I mean, you know, this is a cliche, but like it is life, right? Water. And so I, I agree with you. There's not much more that would make you feel out of control, panicked, concerned, stressed, upset. I mean, you, you know, you name it. What that causes is not having access to healthy That's right. water. That's right. And so one mm. of the things we talked about when it came to um, the pandemic was that it was that loss of control. Yeah. It was that, and, and that was so disconcerting for many people. Like, oh, the things that I thought I controlled, my health mm. or my kid's schooling or, mm. you know, I can go into a grocery store. You know, back at the most of the pandemic, it was like, oh, I could go into the grocery store whenever I want. Well, now that was taken away. In this case, water. Yeah. The, this lack yeah. of control is... um is not something we like to think about because I think in America we like to think that we ultimately control everything. We provide comfort we for do ourselves, think that, don't we? And that it is our birthright to have clean water, food, yeah. shelter. Yeah. But it's just not true, and right. that lack of control is really disconcerting.
Yeah, and I and I think the question is like, okay, so what do you do with that? Like, you put yourself in the shoes of the people of Jackson, or we think about ourselves over the past couple of years, or any situation that you find yourself in right now, where you feel like you're realizing, like, oh, control is actually an illusion. Mm. What do I do? And I think for the Christian, especially, like, this is this is sort of a test of faith. Like, do I actually believe the words of God that? he's going to meet all of my needs that if he cares for the sparrows, he's going to care for me, you know? And I, I think this would be to be in a situation like this or any situation you're in where you just feel like I cannot see the way forward. This is scary. This is out of my hands. It does require quite a bit of trust and surrender. Yeah. Yeah. And so the question is, is the person out there right now, Aubrey, so let's take it off of the macro into the okay. micro, you know, yeah. job loss, health loss, yeah. loss of a loved one. Uh, what do you do when life feels particularly out of control? Mm. I, so my family and I went through something recently and it made me feel very out of control. And I hope this doesn't, we, yesterday we talked about virtue signaling. I hope this doesn't sound virtue signaling. I didn't know what to do, but pray. Do you know Mm. what I mean? Like my only option was to be like, God, you gotta help. And like call a bunch of my friends and be like, look, we're in a little bit of a crisis can you please pray for us? And I, I feel like um, prayer, depending on your community, and um, then at some point, like looking to uh, looking to experts, I guess, in whatever mm. situation you're in, like those are sort of the first things. But I think that prayer piece is so important, just to remember, like ultimately, when things are out of control, like I can only lean on the one who I have believed is in control and trust yeah. that he actually is who he says he That's is. Right. That's right. It's The lack of control, I suppose, can make us shake our fist at God. Mm-hmm. Like you're not, you're not good. Yeah. You're not doing what yeah. you promised, even though, you know, we're kind of making up what he promised there. Right. Or it can cause us to, to fall at the feet of God and go, oh, I need your presence. Like I, I, I'm keenly aware that I need you at this moment. Like our comfort numbs us to our need of God. And I I would encourage people out there. God is good. God is present. God is powerful. God is victorious. Uh, And, and I'd encourage you in your times of where it feels out of control to go to the one who is in control. So I was thinking of that, be praying for the people in Mississippi, man, that is such, such a crazy story. Every day this week, Aubrey, we have talked a different offshoot of the story from Matt Chandler yeah. from over the weekend oh. where uh, we're still waiting on where it really happened or didn't actually happen. But he was he's taking a leave of absence. He yeah. was told to take a leave yes. of absence yes. over uh, what is an inappropriate online course, joking and other things, non-sexual relationship with a woman. And, you know, believe what you will about it. I mm-hmm. think more facts will come mm-hmm. out. But. It was the next in the long line of of major pastors who have, quote unquote, fallen. Yeah, yeah. And not to get overly cynical, but I think we have gotten really used to seeing on a Monday morning some video clip from some church somewhere of the pastor getting up. I'm taking I'm going or, you know, the mm-hmm. head elder getting up. Yep. And. Is that the right way to do it? And so yeah, Dave right, Miller right. over at Christianity Today, Christianity Today, I added like three more T's there. I was like, Christianity, Christianity Today. Yeah. Uh, stop applauding pastors who publicly mm. confess their sins. He said, when leaders admit wrongdoing, we should respond with quiet sobriety, 
not clapping. So when Matt Chandler, this is off the Matt Chandler thing, he got up and he can, some people say he confessed, some people won't, but he talked about what was going on. His support of what the elders had decided. He cried. Somebody yelled out, we love you. Mm -hmm. Uh, And when he was done, the congregation gave him a standing ovation as he left. And some people would say, Hey, that's a, that's a congregation that loves their pastor. Right. Other people are going, that's just yet another power dynamic in Mm. which, what are we doing? Applauding sin. What are we doing? So when you see those, just kind of talk me through what it makes you feel. I, I don't know. I mean, I, uh, let me, I'm going to work it out as I, as I say it right now, because I did see some people online saying we are so sort of, we believe in the restoration narrative so much that we applaud pastors who confess this kind of thing so quickly because we're just sure like it's going to end well. We're just Mm -hmm. sure it's going to end well. And so we applaud. And this person who actually said this on social media was kind of criticizing that. Like we're, we rush too quickly Mm -hmm. to redemption without sitting with the weight of some of this stuff. And I think that's actually a fair critique that said, I, I do think this is a church that loves his pastor, loves her pastor. And, you can't fault them for cheering him on when he's doing a really, really hard thing. Now, do I think they missed a moment to to minister and honor this woman that's in the situation? Yes. Do I think she deserves applause? Yes. But I also, this is, Brian, I was telling you off air, this is sort of my big problem with the quote-unquote celebrity culture world anyway. Like, I just wish I didn't know. And I'm mm, not saying I wish yeah. it was kept quiet. I don't. I'm glad it came out. I'm you glad you didn't know as someone who's not a part of that because church. I'm not a part of his church. I don't know the Chandlers personally. I'm not in relationship with them. I'm not under the authority of their elders. And so I guess I just wish like church business was kept to that community again, not in secret. Let it come out like like uh, it needs to come out. But by virtue of the fact that he is so influential, they put his sermons online. He has books. He is who he says he is. We know this stuff. Okay. And so you can't really change that. But there is this part of me that sort of wishes for like that small church thing where his elders deal with it. Their community walks him through this. There is a beautiful restoration. Maybe we know about it after it's been resolved, but we don't know. We don't know about in the middle of it. Now, what right. I'm not saying, I want to be careful. I'm not saying Hide toxicity, hide hide abuse. We need to know those things are happening in the church so the church can look at herself and do better. But there are some things to me that just feel like that's family business. Mm -hmm. And they're not, I love them and for them, they're not my family. And so I don't need to be a part of it. This is, and this isn't what I plan on talking about, but you and I are talking off air. This is one of the offshoots of the celebrity pastor Mm -hmm. culture we live in, in which if they don't want people and they're not saying they don't but if if they don't want people weighing in on Matt Chandler's right. whatever right then don't make all of his sermons ex- only make his sermons accessible to people who are part of the church to people who are part of the church mm-hmm. um I mean the New York Times covered this this story, story is, like, this I, is they got to be news, surprised though. by how this has gone I was reading People magazine the other day, online yesterday looking for stuff to talk about and that was one of no. their head stories but it, it is this celebrity culture where, like, yes, we have pastors, but then we also have celebrity pastors. And yeah. we feel like we're our, yeah. they're our pastors because we've listened to them so much. So we feel entitled to to critique uh, what's going on. Yeah. When That's not my church. Right. Matt Chandler and I were in the uh, – if Matt Chandler and I were in an elevator together, 
mm-hmm. you wouldn't know who I am. Right. He, his number is not in your phone. That's I think that's right. a big teller of like, oh, then it's not my business to weigh that's in right. on this. But think about this, though. Big church, small church, whatever else it might be. What do you think? And you touched on this a little bit. But what do you think is behind the pastor gets up, admits to sin mm-hmm. or admits part of sin or whatever else? And people immediately, we've seen this now, we can't even count the number of times we've seen this. What do we do? And then it comes out later or something else and it ends up looking bad. What do you think is going on there with the standing ovation? We applaud you right after you've told us what you've done wrong. You know, this is like a bone to pick with me in the church because I wrote a whole book on lament. We have not been discipled in lament. And this is a moment where a church should actually pause, experience the gravitas of what their pastor is saying experience the gravitas for this woman that's been brought into this scenario and for him, all the families involved, all the pain, et cetera. And like sit in that before we jump to the applause and the excitement. And we just don't know how to do it. We're not really comfortable with that in America anyway, because we love the, we love the victory story. We love the mountaintop experience and we don't love to just sort of sit in long suffering, but I actually think it's very faithful and biblical to do so. I, I, uh, Brian, I was telling this to a um, church that I spoke at last weekend. We have a friend from Zambia, and we watched the new Rocky movies with him, the Apollo Creed movies. Okay. And he goes, you Americans don't know how to suffer for more than 30 minutes. And he was like, (laughs) all of your movies are like this. Somebody gets a little hurt, a little downtrodden, and then like 30 minutes later, they're like, you know, racing up a mountain winning. And I was like, that is such an accurate portrayal of American culture. Yeah, was what you said about the original Top Gun. Yeah, yeah, like let the guy grieve. And I just feel like there's no space in our spiritual or cultural sort of milieu for like weight, for grief, for sadness. Now, I do think this will come in time, right? Like I, this mm-hmm. church is going to bear the pain of this as more things come out or, or whatever, as they're missing their pastor. But I also think if I'm not going to be cynical, I think part of it is what you said. They love their pastor. Mm-hmm. And so some of this is sort of maybe akin to a football player, player gets hurt falls on the field, we see him get up again, we cheer. Like some of it might be that mentality as well. Like they're proud of him for being vulnerable and admitting a really hard thing and they want to see him do well and know that they've got his back. Mm. You can't fault a church for that, Brian. Yeah, that's what makes it very um, messy. Yeah, tell me what you think because I've been talking a lot about my, I've been weighing out my opinions here. What do you think? I think it it is understandable why they stand and clap. Mm Mm-hmm. Because they're saying, we love you. Yeah. Many of them are at that church because they love Matt Chandler. Yeah. And then they get in the programming yeah. and other stuff. Right. They want to believe the best of him. They want him to come back. They want they want to say, they want to believe everything that they shared on the stage. And they want to cheer him on, yeah. go get better and come back. Yeah. Um, but I think there's a deeper thing going on here that, yeah, you're probably right. We need to understand, hey, now's not the time for cheer, cheer when he comes back. Yeah. Yeah. And the elders get up and say he did everything yep. we asked him to do. Yeah, I think that's right. And mm-hmm. and and shoot him an email that says, "Hey, we're praying for you." Um, yeah, he says. Uh, Miller here in the article says these churches love their preachers. As a pastor, I appreciate that they want to believe the best of and for their leaders. That's a natural and even honorable desire. But standing ovations for misbehavior are not acceptable. We do not applaud sin. We do not cheer it. We grieve over it. Mm. I think that's powerful and, yeah. and not wrong. Yeah. I understand the impulse. 
uh, but it's not wrong. Yeah, yeah. Uh, football season's coming. School back in session. Pumpkin spice latte today. Uh, yesterday was yesterday? the pumpkin. I think it was yesterday was the pumpkin spice latte day, which we've both talked about. Neither one of us are fans of pumpkin spice. But you know what? Lattes. I have to check on should be coming back here any what? day. What? Because it is criminal that this is seasonal, but it is seasonal for what? the fall. The chili at Panera. The chili at Panera. Love that is some good Panera chili. chili. That is some and good it, chili. When it goes away, I'm like, oh, I know it's getting warmer I don't out. Think Summer's I coming, but it makes that was seasonal. only seasonal. I believe it's fall into winter. A little bit of winter. Wow, you or know maybe what? I, most of winter. You know what I do like this time of year too. Everyone will those apple cider donuts. Oh, for sure. Those things are good. You heat them up a little. Ooh, I like apple cider. I like donuts. You yeah. combine the two. I Solid. like it. Solid so, choice yes. right there. But we're glad that you're with us today as we get into the Labor Day weekend coming up here in a few days. So, Aubrey. You and I were both youth pastors back in the day. We were what do you back miss? in the day. What do you miss about youth ministry? I feel like I can tell you more what I don't miss. Well, that's easy. I don't miss like Bolarama and all night events. I, I uh, all night events. No, this, no, this no, is no. Generally, no. genuinely true. I miss seeing kids come to faith in Christ. Like mm-hmm. they were at the age where like they just would follow Jesus, and I there were so many times I can remember. Um, like praying a prayer with a student who followed Jesus for the first time, being like, I could die now and like I've yeah. lived a life. Like yeah. to be sort of like partners with God and getting to usher a child into the kingdom of God is just like, there's nothing like it. Now, I hope they're still walking with Jesus. I don't know where life has taken them, but something about that salvation moment, baptizing the youth, like that kind of thing was always. Yeah, you just felt like, thank you, Lord. I, thank I, you, God, for your goodness. I know we we trust God with these, but. It, social media has made it hard to see. I know. There are some kids that went through my youth ministry who are like, they're yep. raising families, they're in churches, they're yep. leading churches, and you're like, oh my Amen. gosh. Like this. And there are, are some that are so far off the reservation, and they're not the, always the ones you would have expected I to be know. off the That's, reservation. That is hard. That, that part's really hard. You, you kind of are like, okay, God, I don't know what happened there. Yep. Yeah. Maybe I didn't do a good job. I know, you do not on yourself, us, but right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I do miss the retreats and stuff, but I don't miss retreat sleeping. No, retreat sleeping And I don't miss worst. that feel. I, I do miss the, like, the highs and the uh-huh. fun and the relationship. Uh-huh. And like you said, the honesty of students. Yeah, I think, like, the Holy Spirit really is at work in teenagers, and it's it's fun to kind of be at the front lines bearing witness to that. I could tell you one youth ministry story that yeah. just came to mind. Yeah. Uh, you know how, as youth pastors also, we think that, like, this is the pinnacle, the end all. Like, yes. students, like, we overinflate our own importance. Absolutely, we do. So we're on a mission trip, uh, and this is this girl's senior year, summer after her senior year. Okay. So she's about to go to college. Okay. We're all there. We're doing one of those, you know, emotional end of the week, kids are crying, whatever, right? Like, and I'm like, yeah, I'm youth pastoring to the, to the like, on steroids here. Right, I'm just right, going. right, right. And I was going around praying with kids and talking to them. And I come up to this senior girl who she was always a little like kind of looked at us like, yeah, this is a bit much. (laughs) So she's about ready to go to college. And I say to her, I go, hey, like you're ready for college. You're going to be okay." You know what she said? I know. (laughs) (laughs) She goes, I know. And I looked at her and I go and I just moved on to the next person. She was like, it was like her way of saying, I don't, don't I'm done with this. this. I'm, I'm done fine. with this. I'm, I'm done this. with this. Oh, I love it. All right. So here's my question for okay. you. Uh, youth ministry conference calls you. Yes. So not like a, a singular issue. You're talking to two or 3,000 youth 
Yep. The youths. The youths of today. You're talking to, let's go with high school students. Okay. You're at like one of these big, I don't even know what the big ones are these days, but you're at one of these big high school conferences and they say, Aubrey, we want you to take one of the speaking slots. You got 30 minutes. Mm. These are Christian students. Mm. Okay. So they come from youth groups, right? They're not, you know, they could be all, we know what that means, but they, you're not speaking to these to students who have never, never heard okay, the gospel. I hear, I hear the question. You've the got yeah. 30 minutes. Yeah. What are you sharing? Whoa. What is that message? Man, that's a, that's, that's a good question. So here's what comes to mind right away. I think right now in our um, culture of like expressive individualism, our teenagers are being so, so, so pressured to define mm. who they are and declare it with a label and do it now. And I mean, really around their sexuality, yeah. around their identity, their gender identity, their beliefs, like they are being, I mean, the pressure on them culturally to say I'm this sexuality yes. or yes. this gender or the, um, it is intense. It really is. And um, I think in a lot of ways, Deeply oppressive to kids who long to be accepted and known and loved and belong, which is all teenagers. Yeah. And so I think I would honestly somehow, I don't know that that would be like the high point of the message, but somewhere about how, look, you are loved and you are accepted. You are a child of God who is a good, good father for you. And you actually don't have to make these Mm, declarations publicly right now. Like I actually think it's a new form of legalism in our society Mm -hmm. that is being so I don't know. The enemy is having a heyday with teenagers in this, making them feel like they have to make these decisions that they are not, their brains aren't even developed yet. Like they are not ready to make these decisions. So I think I would somehow get like remind them how loved, accepted they are, and that they have time mm. to like allow God to unfold who they are. That's good. And then I'd probably give them like some practical tips on that. Yep. And then you do it. And then you do an altar call because that's what we do at youth ministry. <laughs> that's right. Nail your nail to the, I'm going to hand out some railroad ties <laughs> and you're going to come nail them to the cross and you're going to lay, lay your burdens I'd down. I'd get up and be like, hey, someday you're going to be as cynical as me. So let me just get it out here. I worked for Testaments. I did see you at the poll. I know who yeah. you are. Oh, yeah. You'd be good at that, actually. I think if I were speaking to high school students, it's a little, it's it's kind of what you said and yeah. kind of different. Yeah. It's the quote we quote all the time. I think I would talk about Eugene Peterson, mm. the long obedience in the same direction. So good. Yeah. That you guys live in a culture right now where every, everything's microwaved. Everything's yeah. now, uh. now, now. And if you don't have the answer in five seconds, mm-hmm. you move on. Yeah. That is not how the Christian life works. Yeah. And in youth ministry, you go high highs, low lows, mm-hmm. the roller coaster, right? It's almost like a like yep. a saying, and it's not healthy. Yeah. And you guys are about to leave high school and go into college and adulthood where it's it's less like that. But you guys need to know just because things are hard now doesn't mean it's time to give up on God. Yeah. Just because and 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 I would I would talk about Eugene Peterson's a long obedience in the same direction. And what do we do? Uh, the book of Hebrews, strip off the sin that so easily entangles. Mm-hmm. Some of you need to do that. Mm-hmm. Run the race. This race is a marathon. And yeah. what do we do? We have other people who spur us on. Yeah, I think that would good. be that's good. That would be the message. And here's the funny thing. We as adults need to hear these messages just <laughs> as much. Uh, it is so true. Like I've been telling a few people, I feel like recently 
like God has almost been kind of stripping me of my because, you know, we've talked about this and joked about the show. I'm sort of a perpetual student. I love thinking. I love theology. I love doctrine, that kind of thing. I don't know a lot, but I'm very aware of what I don't know. Mm-hmm. But I do feel like God has sort of stripped me of like some of not stripped me like that's not important, but just like brought me back to like and also at all of this. Just remember you're my daughter and mm-hmm. I'm your father. There like, you go. Let's just get back to that. Yep. And that's where I feel like if adults need that as much as we need. Everything Absolutely. Else. Um, Brian, do you know who Jackie Hill Perry is? I do. Okay. So describe for the people who Jackie Hill Perry is. I might get the descriptions wrong okay, here okay. because I know of her. Do your best guess. Uh, like, I don't know what her actual role is, like oh, what her okay. job is. Yeah. Is she just an author and a speaker? She's or a spoken is she a... word poet. Oh, okay. Yep. And an author and a speaker. Um, Tends to be pretty conservative. I don't mean that politically. I mean that theologically. conservative. Absolutely. While being... A young African-American woman. Yeah. And a same-sex attracted. Oh, I forgot that part. Uh, African-American woman. Yes. So she's married to a man. She has her big message is that God has called her to be holy, not to live into whatever sexual desire she has. So she speaks out of that place a and lot. I, I think that background of her knowing her race, her gender, her yeah. sexuality, her age. Yeah. Blow up a lot of the preconceived. Like a lot of things she mm-hmm. says are often attributed to. 50-year-old white guys. <laughs> right, or, right. Or, oh, that's just my parents' generation. Mm-hmm. Or this. And mm-hmm. so when she's, the one of the reasons she has such a following is because she's saying things, mm-hmm. including what we're about to listen to, she's saying things that you don't necessarily expect to hear from yeah. a young uh, yeah. a, a young, same-sex attracted yeah. African-American woman. Yeah. And, and she also, I mean, just side note, like she speaks with such authority <gasps> so and good. like is fire. So you know good. what I mean? So yes. that's part of it too is you're like, oh, da- yes. whatever she's going to say, I'm going to believe. There's like, a compelling nature to when yeah, she talks. There, there's a gravitas that you're like, is. Okay, okay, there's something I need I to hear there. This. <laughs> and she's talking about the mission statement of our culture related to sexuality in this clip on Instagram that I want to play for you. But she basically says this, the mission statement of our culture is do what thou wilt so let's go ahead and listen to her words and then brian and i'll talk about it if i wanted to watch porn i did if i wanted to have sex with a girl or try it with a guy i did until i met jesus but the thing is that kind of hedonism is the air we breathe let you tell somebody that you're celibate to the glory of god and they'll look at you like you lost your mind (laughs) why because the mission statement of the culture is do what thou wilt your body is yours, they'll say. You, you could do with it whatever you darn well please. We are sexual beings, so it's harmful to deny yourself anything pertaining to your sexual affections. And as much as we don't want to admit it, those arguments wear on us. Not mainly in regards to evangelism, but temptation. Because they are telling us what our flesh actually wants to believe. And I know for a fact. That the fight isn't merely about what the world believes about sexuality, but what we believe about it. Yes, we know that the body was made for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Yes, we know that we are to submit our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. But there are times when what you know still doesn't quench how you feel. And therein lies the tension that all Christians face to let God and not the body have the final say on how we should live. Okay, so Brian, I thought that was so incredibly profound. And here's what I appreciated about it, especially in regards to sexuality in this day and age. 
I feel like the church in, I think, rightly wanting to be so careful and not wanting to offend or hurt and wanting to draw people in has actually not spoken up a lot about the hedonism in our culture, about kind of the pressure sexually that our teens are feeling and that even adults are feeling. And um, in some instances, because of that, I feel like we've almost lost our voice in the conversation mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. lost our our discipling of people. Like the world is discipling people in this area and we've sort of forgotten to speak into it. And so I just appreciate that she's kind of naming things like, we don't do whatever our sexual appetites tell us. Like and she and it's her experiences. I used to until I met Jesus. Right. But now, uh, as a Christian, my job is to honor God with my body. And I there's I appreciate. I think it feels like a breath of fresh air because you don't hear this message a lot in this day and age. Yeah, yeah. It's again, it's a prophetic message that says, "Yeah, hey, um, you are not made to do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Your body is not your own." Mm-hmm. You are not made to go, and this is such the message of our culture. That's why she called it our cultural mission statement. Yeah. You are not made to just do what you most desire at right. all times. Right. There's consequences for yes. that, uh, that there's a greater calling upon our lives. And I think she speaks from a point of um, of understanding here, right? Yeah. She very uh, openly claims to be same-sex attracted. Right. And she came to the point in her life where it said, that is not a godly pursuit and yeah. I'm going to change my yeah. pursuit even though my body is. And, mm-hmm. and so we hear a lot about bodily autonomy yeah. and I am made for myself and, yeah. you know, I've got a short time, so I'm going to enjoy as much as mm-hmm. and enjoy. There's nothing wrong with enjoyment, yeah. but it's this idea that in our culture that you be you, yeah. you do your thing. When as Christians, we say, no, we're made for God's glory. Right. We're right. made to honor him. Right. But, then the crazy part is in doing that, that's when we find that joy that we think we're going to find in the hedonism. Yeah, it, it is interesting to think about. Like the message today is like basically anything that isn't you do you. It, it, the world would say like that's oppressive. That's oppression. You're oppressing me. You're not letting me be the real me. But what we find in Christianity is that actually when we submit all of that to the Lord, like that's true freedom and true goodness. And we actually experience like wholeness and joy in a way that we don't when we just let our appetites lead. But it is it is hard, I think, especially in our post-Christian society to have these conversations with friends and neighbors, because even within the church, there's such a growing um, debate, disagreement around not just issues of sexuality, but issues of individual freedom and expression of self and that kind of thing. And so I sometimes feel torn, honestly, Brian, in the church, like what to say, what not to say. You don't want to be unloving and judgy, but you also don't want to be untrue. And right. so I anyway, I, I think I, I wanted to share this with people because I kind of just appreciate her straightforwardness on the topic. I agree. And um and her boldness on the topic. How do you think we take some of Jackie Hill Perry's like heart and, and messaging and bring it into the church, into our conversation? Yeah, I don't know that we're willing. I don't know that we're as blunt as she is. Yeah. And maybe we need to be. Yeah. Just going because our people, ourselves included, are being inundated mm-hmm. with um, we're being inundated with this messaging. Yeah. Um, it, the messaging of you're made for yourself. Do what you want. Right. Uh, you be you. Yeah. Live your own truth. That's right. another 
I I live my truth. Like these are these are messages that we are getting that uh, that I think we need to stand up and just say all too often as Christians, it's like, don't do that. Don't Mm -hmm. do that. No, no. We want to say there's a better way. There's a better mission statement. There's a better, better way to live our lives. We are called to follow Jesus. We are his. We're to bring glory to God. And the promise there is abundant life. Mm -hmm. And I think we constantly have to put in front of people. What do you truly believe is abundant life? Where do you believe that's found? Jackie O'Perry's planted her flag. Mm -hmm. She's saying our culture has planted their flag. Mm -hmm. You be you, do what you want, Mm -hmm. and there you'll find joy. It's not true, but it sounds good. Right, it does sound good. And if it's not true, then we have to proclaim what is true and call people to decision. And and some people, it's going to take 20 years to learn this. Some people, they'll learn it overnight. Right. But I I do think we have to have a boldness that she's kind of saying here going, this is what our culture values. This is what the Bible teaches Mm -hmm. as to where life now is found. Which path are you going to choose? Jesus said one of the paths is broad. One of them is narrow. Yeah. Clearly two different pathways. So which one are you going to choose? Yeah, I think think it's a good word. Hers is a good word for all of us to wrestle with. Brian, this is a little bit of a continuation of the conversation we just had about Jackie Hill Perry, but from a totally different perspective, because we're going to talk sports. Sports. Thought you'd be really proud of me. I watched a sports documentary last night with my family. It was the Manti Teo story. Now, I was not familiar with it because, you know, I'm not involved in sports, really. But many of our listeners will be familiar with it. You obviously know the story. Do you want to kind of quickly recap what happened? And I'll fill in details since I just freshly watched it. Yep. So Manti Teo was he was one of the best uh, college football players. What are we on? Ten years now ago, probably Uh uh, for Notre Dame. So middle linebacker for Notre Dame. And defensive players never are in the Heisman conversation. He would finish second or third in the Heisman voting. He did. That was amazing. And uh, one of the storylines that kind of grew his fame was that uh, he had a girlfriend who died in a car accident. And I remember watching games where they'd be like, he's playing for her when this first came out. Then the story got really weird. And here's where you can fill some of it in. But this is like when a lot of us got introduced to the phrase catfishing. Mm-hmm. Because the, the 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 girlfriend, he had never met her. And she ended up not ever existing. Not ever existing. And yeah. it ended up being the creation of a buddy of his, right? And was it not a friend? It was sort of not a, a friend. Uh, someone they were connected and knew each other relationally, but not friends. Yeah. No. I remember his last name being Tuiasa Sopo because that was his brother was a really good football player, yeah. too. And uh, and so Manti Teo became a laughing stock yeah. because how do you date a woman for a year and care this much and never meet her mm. and all of this stuff? And the catfishing is like he's kind of synonymous with it. Yeah. Uh, and people were like he was part of it. So yeah, there was he some made accusations that he greater, made. Right. Right. But it's really come out that he had he was completely the victim in he this. Was completely and the it's victim. defined it affected his NFL career. It did. It, it is defined it who he is. Him, like he was a first draft pick and then he got moved to like the second round. I mean, it changed a lot about his life. Really so, devastating. Go ahead. And so I don't believe he's in the NFL anymore. And so a documentary just came out on Netflix about mm-hmm. his story. This story was so big ten yeah. years ago. Yeah. Uh, I haven't seen it. I want to see it, but that's what you're talking about. You, that's what you I, watched it. Yeah, and I want to talk about it. It's called Untold. Um, there, you know, If you're watching it with kids, maybe be careful. There's some language. But I do actually think teenagers these days need to watch it because of the catfishing. That said, I, I want to play. 
I want to play some audio of his monologue at the very end. And before I play it, Brian, you just set it up so well, but a, a name that they use here is Lanai or Lene, and that's sort of the, the quote, character that this catfisher was playing mm-hmm. as the girlfriend. And he's asked, um, Manti is asked if he forgives the catfisher and if he forgives himself. And that's the monologue you're about to hear. The key is this. There's always going to be that little kid that's going to come up to you because he loves you. But if you look at that little kid, like the way that this dude that's treated you, you're going to ruin that little kid. That is my challenge every day. That when somebody comes up to me and they say, Manti, man, I'm a big fan of you. That I don't think of the times of the hundreds of people that say, Manti, I'm a big fan of you. Let me take a picture. And I took a picture with them and they made fun of me. If there's anything that I can do, that's what I'm going to do every day. You know, I'm going to rise above all of that. No matter how, how hard it is for me. I'm going to look at all these people who make fun of me. And the people who actually believe in me. It's... I have to take a second to be like, they actually love me, man. They love you. They don't want to make fun of you, bro. Treat them nice. In a world that's just spit on you. Remember all those people in the stands that had the lace on Because you're going to have hundreds and thousands and millions of people that touch you. You ain't worth nothing, man. But there's going to be one that's going to say, you worth the world to me. And I play for that person. I'll take all this crap. I'll take all the jokes. I'll take all the memes. So that I can be an inspiration to one who needs me to be. That's the whole reason why I'm doing this. Everybody that if Renaya ever watched this, that I forgive. And I hope and pray that him and his family is cool. Because that's all that I can wish for him. Okay, so I was moved by this for a lot of ways, mm. Brian. One, I think... Man, he really did. He was so victimized in this. Yes. Like uh, Manti, not just what happened being catfished. He was a victim of catfishing. But, man, the media was hard on him. Oh, my gosh. Like they yes. were, there were Saturday Night like live jokes yes. about him. There were Apparently, they were giving away um, bobbleheads of the supposed girlfriend at different games. I mean, this, like, uh, I mean, talk about being bullied by the media. Like, that part was devastating. And so I think for him to have the perspective now, he talked about how therapy was a part of his healing journey. For him to have the perspective now where he was saying both, he forgives the catfisher. Right. But then also what wasn't in this video, but what they shared in the documentary is he learned to forgive himself. He started mm. bawling when he said that. But, you know, a guy who's so confident and so self-assured, but went through this like thing that rocked him and really rocked his football career and even his anxiety he felt on the field was increased so deeply because of this learning to forgive himself and learning to rise above, not for the haters, but for like the one fan out there. I was deeply moved by that. Yeah. And 
is to hear him reflect upon it. Because I'm guessing this was in the documentary. It came out like when people are like, how do you fall for this? He was just lonely. Like he it's was. a guy from Hawaii. Totally. Now living in South Bend, and Indiana. And he was like young 20s. Yeah. He's mm-hmm. now in South Bend, Indiana. Mm-hmm. Doesn't know anybody. He's a star football player, but you're yeah. still far away from home. Right. And he found somebody online who understood him, mm-hmm. who was beautiful, mm-hmm. who could listen to him. It just turned out that person didn't exist, but yeah. he didn't know. So you can understand how those connections uh. get made yes. how these things and quite frankly the dude on the other end was pretty smart at doing this the which dude is scary. on the other end was brilliant at yeah. doing it yeah and so you but to hear Manti Teo talk about in the end that clip that you played about um forgiving himself mm-hmm. or can I just be an inspiration to one person yeah. then it's all worth it like yeah. there's great maturity and humility there that it's really good I think something that I I didn't air that was a little disturbing about the video is um, the the catfisher who went by the name was it Lene or Lenai either way um, that was the like pretend girlfriend's name is um, he's now a transgender woman and he was operating um, in this character and saying. Uh, in this video that I was watching, how that experience led him to realize who he truly was. And he says, though I feel a little bad about what happened, (laughs) that experience now allowed me to be who I truly am, a transgender woman in this day and age. And there's a video of him hula-ing in a hula skirt. He's part of this transgender community in Hawaii. And I just thought to myself, do you have no shame? Like, it's fine that you've become who you are, but you did that at the expense of another person. And it was like there was no remorse. And it was also like the documentary was celebrating. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Catfisher turned becoming who he truly is. Or yes. she truly is. Despite and, I wrecked someone's and life. that part was disturbing to me, yeah. Brian. Like, I thought to myself you know, fine, like become who you are, but at least have a little humility about what you did to someone instead of like, this was a great life lesson in my life. I, but apparently, uh, you know, he fell in love with Manti from afar and got really attached to him. And so I do think there's a lesson for all of us in like getting attached to people that are not in our real life is not healthy and not good. This is the world we live in now. This is the world we live in. And then I think for those of you who are listening and like, what does it have to do with me? I I really wanted to bring uh, back Manti's monologue for you or air his monologue for you because I think just for all of us to remember, like, look, there are going to be critics in this world and we're going to get in shameful situations. But if we can remember that we serve we serve God and we can serve the people who need inspiration. Like mm. that's that's worth keeping our focus that's on right. in this day and age. Like finding the strength to forgive and rise above situations, I think is is so, so encouraging that's and right. inspiring for all of us. It's the end of the show. It's almost Labor Day weekend. The end of every show, we love to bring you something challenging or spiritually inspiring or something just to put a smile on your face. Brian, do you know who Trillia Newbell is? Has she been on the show before my she has time? She's not been on the show. Okay. I know the name. Yeah. Right? She pops up on Twitter a yeah. lot. I don't know of her work, I should say. Yeah, she's a um, she is a brilliant author. She's uh, associated often with the Gospel Coalition. Oh, okay. Uh, pretty um, like theologically conservative, conservative, really wise uh, African American woman of God. I don't know how old she is, but I think she's probably around her age or a little younger. Okay. Um, she put something on Twitter that I thought was so interesting, and there was a whole conversation around it that was interesting. But let me just read it to you, and let's unpack it. She says, thinking this morning about the biblical definition, designation of enemy, I believe like, and this is in quotes, who is my neighbor, we should ask, 
who is my enemy. Hmm. If we examine this, I believe most of us have it wrong. For example, do you think anyone who disagrees with you is your enemy? And then she leaves it there, which I think is like she's leaving us hanging. It's yes, a good exactly. thing to say. Exactly. She does go on to say, I think it's worth exploring. Even still, we have a clear commandment to love our enemies. Um, some people are responding to this. But Brian, before we read some other responses, what, why do you think we why do you think she's calling us to ask who is our enemy? Oh, a couple different reasons. One, we are called to love our enemies. Yeah. Oh, yep. And so it is, it's easy to theoretically say love your enemies, but when you name them and then say, uh, but you need love, that's really yeah. hard. Yeah, that's Two, really hard. we live in a very tribal, very, um, you know, we're with mm-hmm. our people all the time. And that's, yep. that is increasingly who we are as a culture, right? We uh, we only associate with those that, how many stories have we done? I will only associate with those people that have vote like me. We have covered so many uh, of those stories I recently. will only, who believe exactly everything that I believe, who worship the same, mm. uh, you know, denomination as me or yeah. whatever else it might be. Uh, and I think Trilla Nubel is going, hey, listen, Republican. Mm-hmm. A, it's really a stretch to call the Democrats your enemy. Mm-hmm. But if you are going to, let name it. Mm-hmm. And let me remind you of yeah. the words of Jesus. Yeah. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Yep. Are you doing that? Yep. So I think that's her move here. What? Who is your enemy? Mm-hmm. But that's not... I, I, that is not helpful if then the takeaway is, all right, Aubrey, you've identified your enemy, so you could really go after so, him and yeah, defeat so them. Go get him now. Yeah. There's an obvious implied follow up here. Mm-hmm. Hey, Jesus said, love your enemies as yourself. Yeah. Oh. What, what are you going to do about it today? That's gonna... hard. That's really hard. It's really hard. And even as I, I'm sitting here thinking, okay, who in my life have I sort of categorized as enemies, whether they are real flesh and blood people that are in my life or like, quote unquote, those people online or that tribe. And when you bring it down to like the people in my real life that I've said, they're my enemy, I'm done with them, whether I've used that language or not, right? Ooh, that's convicting, it right? Is. Because then you go, oh, actually, I don't have any right to treat that person with anything but love. Mm. Is, now, it, is I, it okay, do you think, to call somebody your enemy? Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, I don't, yes, no, This that's a great question. We do see it all throughout the scripture. Yeah. We see the imprecatory laments where David is literally calling down like curses on his enemies. Um, but uh, I think if we call someone our enemy, are we are we cursing them, which we're told not to do in the New Testament? Yeah, I think it's OK. I think it's natural to call somebody yeah. your enemy. Like it is it, it, there are just people that are going to be, for lack of a better word, your enemy. But yeah. I don't think that. It then should cause us to wrestle with the words of love your enemy as yourself. Yeah, because then what do you do? Like once right. you've identified your enemies, how do you love them? And I I don't think loving them means being their best friend. Mm-mm. I think you're allowed to have boundaries with people who you consider an enemy, especially if they're harming you or oppressing you or what have you. You should have boundaries. So let's get practical for a minute, Brian. Like, how do you go about the work of loving your enemy? I mean, really, like, think about that person in your life, your family that you just disagree with all the time. They make you crazy or you don't like them or you fight with them or what have you. How do you answer Jesus's call? Uh, with a lot of prayer. Oh, that's what I'm thinking. It and requires the, a lot of prayer. You know, a lot of prayer. And also there's the... um this feels like a good spot to also speak of the speck in someone else's eye and the log in my mm. own eye. 
to go, you know what, I'm not perfect. Yeah. You know, and I think you make a great point. My enemies, I, for many of them, it's perfectly legitimate for me to say, but I don't want to be have a relationship yeah, with them. That totally. is great. Totally. Um, but I do think having a proper view of my own sinfulness mm-hmm. and my own ability to be somebody's enemy and my own ability to annoy somebody or to hurt somebody yeah. helps build compassion for those who have may have done it to yeah. me. Yeah. And, and I think that once we have compassion for our enemies, um, that's a big first step. I, I guess it's, it's a big first step. I would say, what do you, what, how, how do you live this? How, how would you say we live this out? So I just typed in, in the internet, Loving your enemies, just to see what wisdom we'd find from the internet. The first thing is from Jesus, but I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them that despitefully use you, that ye may be children of your Father which is in heaven. So I do wonder if some practical things, um, blessing instead of cursing, and so that can mean literally like praying that God will bless them. Yeah praying good things for them, praying that, you know, the Lord gets a hold of their hearts or that God does great things in their life. God blesses them instead of what you can do, which is sit there and stew over all the things that they do and how mad you are. And you can't effectively curse them that way. Well, what if instead you're like, oops, Lord, how would you bless them today? Do good to them that hate you. I mean, I think that's interesting. Like, what are some practical ways where you can do good to the people who hate you in your life? Woo, that's... That's where you ask for the power of God to do that. But I think that means some practical uh, help. And then pray for them that despitefully use you. And so I think that's another that's another good call. Because praying for someone doesn't mean you have to be their best friend. Right. You don't even have to talk to them. You don't have to be in a relationship with them. You don't have to take their abuse. But you certainly can stop and just pray that, okay, Lord, would you be with that person today? Would you, would you bless them? Would you, uh, you know... Uh, provide for them their daily bread and help me to like maybe yes. let go of any hate in my heart That's right. because I, I I am your child who's been deeply loved by you even when I was your enemy yes. and therefore I want to operate out of that. That's a great point that. too yeah. like as sinners we are described right apart from Christ as enemies of God Yeah. and what has he done for us in sending Jesus right. to bring forgiveness and life I do think uh, again, sometimes we run to that. Well, I don't want that person in my life. I need boundaries. Yes, but that still doesn't take away the love your enemies, right. pray for those who persecute right. you. Like that's still the call that Jesus modeled, and that ultimately we have to believe that living in the way of Christ brings our own flourishing. Mm-hmm. So, apart bitterness is not the answer. Right. Unforgiveness is not the right. answer. So, might this be the answer? You know, it's, it's when you think about the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? Like you think about, okay, well, practically, what what did the Samaritan do to his enemy? He, I mean, literally did good to him. Like got down on the ground, wrapped him in bandages, uh, poured healing oil on him, gave him wine, put him in an inn to stay. I mean, like there was some major practical That's right. That's acts right. of love. And that went over and saw him instead of passing him by. Like... That's doing good and blessing someone who hates that's you. Right. And I think that's probably a really hard word of Jesus, but a really good word of Jesus for all of us. And again, all because of the love we've been shown in Christ that's when right. we were the enemies of God. He lavished love on us. So why might we somehow do the same for our enemies? That's right. Anyway, really Amen. interesting question. Who is my neighbor? Who is my enemy? And how can I love them? All right. Well, we will be back again tomorrow, Friday of Labor Day weekend from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to the Common Good Podcast.
1160, hope for your life. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.